Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad that you're here with us today. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here, and so happy to have you here as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hey, a couple things uh, about today. First of all, we've got baptisms today, which is awesome. So you in the front seats right here, you're in the splash zone, all right? So you may get wet. We've got people that have signed up to get baptized, and some of you are here, you haven't signed up, and maybe the Spirit of God will just allow you to get baptized in your church clothes. I say that because we have had that happen at every one of our services. Last night at our six o'clock service, we had 20 people got baptized just in that service alone. So God is working in some powerful ways. If you're here today and maybe you're not connected with a church, maybe you're not connected with God, maybe you're here and you've had a bad church experience, I just wanna encourage you to check out Shelter Cove over the next several months. Uh, Shelter Cove, we try to be a church that's all about God's truth, God's love and God's grace and to experience church in a real tangible way, we would love for you to be a part of that. Now today, why you're here, maybe you were invited by a friend, maybe you saw the sign in the mall, maybe an ad on Facebook, maybe a family member brought you and you just didn't wanna let them down. We came here today for all kinds of different reasons. For me, church, when I was a child, some of you don't know this, I was a drug baby. And yeah, my parents drug me to church every single Sunday. Some of you are like, oh, Pastor, that was bad. Uh, but, but, but some of us, we're, we're here for all kinds of different reasons. And for some of us, we've been at church uh, most of our life. For some of us, this may be our first day. Here's the reality for all of us. I wholeheartedly believe that God has something powerful that he wants to speak into your life today in a tangible way. Today we're looking at the whole theme of experience life. Because it's one thing to know about a life that's only found in Jesus Christ. It's another thing to experience the life that's only found in Jesus Christ. It's one thing to know about Disneyland, see pictures of Disneyland. It's another thing to experience Space Mountain for yourself, right? How many Disneyland fans out there? Come on. Good, Giants fans. It's one thing to know about the Giants and see the park. It's another thing to go to the park, right? Can I get an amen? Right? Not with me, Giants fans. Come on. Yes, we know you're Giants fans because you smell like garlic fries right now, right? I still think there should be a cologne in baseball season for Giants fans that's like a garlic fry cologne so we would know who the true Giants fans are. But today we're talking about experience life. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, we have you covered. The verses are going to be up on the screens. Uh, let me set the stage for what's happened prior to the reading of this passage. Jesus has, has gone to the cross. He has done the most loving and humble thing that, that anybody has ever done or will do. He has died in our place. He has dealt with our sin. And his disciples at this time after Jesus has died, they're, they're confused, they're alone. And then comes Sunday. Let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1, reads, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love it. He was just straight up chilling. His appearance was like lightning, for his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. 
as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Heavenly Father, right now we humbly ask that you would speak to our hearts and our lives. Would you take away any distraction that would hinder us from hearing you speak clearly? God, I ask that you would take over my mind, my heart, and my mouth, and that you would declare the message that you have in store for your people today. Thank you for this opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We're gonna jump right into the message today. If you've got uh, your bulletins or sermon notes in there, great way to track along with us today. I wholeheartedly believe that the resurrection is the greatest event that's ever happened in the history of the world. The greatest event that will ever happen is that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Those three words, he is risen, I believe are the most powerful words that we see in scripture, that Jesus has conquered death, uh, conquered the grave, conquered sin. And today I, I wanna look at the power, the impact of the resurrection. But first of all, what we need to understand is, is our condition in and of ourselves. Why, why does the resurrection matter? Because first of all, in ourselves, we produce nothing with lasting satisfaction and comfort. We are incapable of producing anything that will satisfy us and comfort us long term. Why? Because we are constantly wanting more. More stuff, more money, more possessions. Our hearts are these empty pits where we are constantly thirsty and never satisfied. In fact, Jim Carrey, uh, an actor that has so much money, so much fame, he put it this way. He said, quote, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback that's ever played the game of football, just got done winning his fifth Super Bowl. After his third Super Bowl victory, he was interviewed, and this is what he said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Coming from a guy that has it all, that there has to be more than this. And here's what happens when we seek to be satisfied and comforted with the things of this world, whether it's stuff, whether it's money, whether it's possessions. One of two things will often happen. Uh, the first one is that we will give our life to that and we will never achieve it. We'll never have enough money. We'll never have enough stuff and we will be empty. Or the second thing that will happen that is often worse is that we will finally maybe get to attain that one thing that we're striving for, that financial level, that, that stuff, and we will realize that it still doesn't satisfy us or it will just get ripped away. In fact, uh, the author Randy Alcorn puts it this way. He says, the most tragic strain in human existence lies in the fact that the pleasure which we 
find in the things of this life, however good that pleasure may be in itself, is always taken away from us. The things for which men strive hardly ever turn out to be as satisfying as they expected, and in the rare cases in which they do, sooner or later they are snatched away. There's nothing in this life that we can produce that will satisfy us or comfort us. Sure, that, that comfort may come from a quick buzz, a quick high, a quick rush, rush that will last maybe hours or even a day, but the next day we are in the same place seeking the same comfort because there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that ultimately will satisfy us or comfort us. Second of all is we produce no solution for the disease of sin. In and of ourselves, we produce no solution for the disease of sin in our life. Sin is that disease that separates us from God that leads to death. Sin is simply falling short of God's standard. It's, it's missing the mark. In so many religions, so many people will say, you know what, as long as I'm a good enough person, God will, will allow me into heaven. That's the mindset of so many people, and that's why we often will we'll go to church and we'll read our Bibles and we'll give to charity and we'll open the door for people, hoping that as we stand before a holy God, as long as our good deeds outweigh our bad, as long as we've tipped the, the scale in some way, shape, or form, we'll get a good enough grade to pass and go into heaven. Now, now, now that may work for, for high school. That, that was my goal, especially in chemistry class. My, my, my mindset was D stood for dandy, right? Um, and as long as I could get a D, that was passing, and I could move on. See, see for, for God, his standard is not a passing grade. It is perfection. Why? Because God is a holy God. He's a perfect God. So if we've ever sinned, if we've ever cheated, if we've ever lied, then we fall short of God's standard of perfection. In fact, Romans chapter 3 puts it this way about every single one of us, is that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God because all of us have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that will allow us to be satisfied and comforted. There's nothing that we can do that will produce a solution for the disease of sin in our life. Now here's the power of the resurrection. Here's the good news. Three points in your notes. First of all, notice the impact of the resurrection. What the resurrection gives us. It gives us confirmation of the Christian faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest confirmation of the Christian faith. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul puts it this way. He literally sets it up and says, if Christ hasn't re resurrected, if he's still in the grave, then there, there's a ripple effect. Paul, Paul's saying the resurrection of Christ is everything. He says, if, if Christ didn't rise, then we have no faith. In other words, our prayers are pointless. Our Bible reading is pointless. Our serving is pointless. Our giving is pointless. He says, we have no faith. We have no foundation. He says, we have no forgiveness. I mean, the whole hope of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus came into the world, that Jesus lived a sinless life, that Jesus did miracles proving that he was God, that he went to the, uh, the cross, that he was resurrected. In Romans chapter four, it says that Jesus was risen for our justification, meaning that when we die and stand before God, we have the imputed righteousness of Christ, that God looks at us justified just as if we never sinned. Paul's saying, if Christ did not rise, we don't have that. 
He's saying if, if Christ didn't rise, we have no future. We're not going to have the hope of seeing our loved ones. He's saying if Christ didn't rise, it says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if in Christ we have hope, and this is the context of he didn't rise, in this life only, we of all people are the most to be pitied. Paul's saying that Christianity is a joke. Christ didn't rise. It's kind of like me pulling out some money out of my wallet. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to brag, uh, but, but I got a lot of money up here. Um, and I got a couple $500 bills, some 20s, some 100s. I mean, here's a huge wad of cash. Now, why is this a joke? Because it's fake. It's Monopoly money. It means absolutely nothing. Now, now if I pulled out a bunch of real $500 bills, that would change everything. Why? Because you'd all want to be my friends, right? <laughs> Paul's saying that if Christ didn't rise, Christianity is a joke. But he goes on and he says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul is saying here the greatest proof of Christianity is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the resurrection is our foundation. That the resurrection allows us to have faith. That the resurrection allows us to be forgiven. The resurrection gives us the confidence of a future. The greatest confirmation of the Christian faith is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only that, Notice, the resurrection gives us proof Jesus is who he said and cannot be taken lightly. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is who he said and we cannot take Jesus lightly. Why? Because Jesus' miracles, his miracle of the resurrection backed up his message. His, his works backed up his words. What did Jesus claim? Jesus claimed several things. Jesus claimed to live a sinless life. Jesus claimed to give everlasting life. Jesus claimed to be a heavenly king. Jesus claimed to alone be the one that could forgive us of our sins, and only God could do that. Jesus claimed in John chapter 10, he says, I and the Father are one. He claimed in John chapter 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because I am. And then Jesus says this in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I am a way of many ways. He said, I'm the only way. He didn't come to, to tell us about the way. He came to say, I am the way. The only way to life, the only way to God is through me. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means that, that what Jesus said, he is who he said, and we cannot take him lightly. In other words, in your notes, God can be trusted. God can be trusted because Jesus is who he said. Now, second of all, the resurrection means for us the following. First of all, the penalty of our sins has been paid in full. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that the penalty of our sins has been paid in full. When Jesus stood on the cross, and he said, it is finished. What did he mean? He means 
forgiveness is finished. And his resurrection was proof that Jesus accepted his sacrifice. Proof that our sin has been paid in full. One of the greatest stamps that I have seen is the stamp where I pay for a bill or something and somebody stamps paid in full. It means it's done. It means that there's no more payment that's needed. It means that I can go on, that I don't owe anybody any else, anything else. Jesus, when he rose from the grave, it is the single greatest evidence that God accepted his sacrifice as being good enough to pay the penalty for our sins. It simply means this. It means that the penalty of our sins has been paid in full. Not only that, Jesus defeated death and raises us to everlasting life. The resurrection means that Jesus defeated death. What separates Jesus from every other person that claimed to be God, every other religion, every other religious leader? Jesus is the only one that's overcome death. Now, sure, there's doctors and physicians. They're miraculous at sometimes. They've got this medicine, but they will never bring us back to life. Only Jesus has the power to do that. John chapter 11, Jesus is spending time with his friends, Mary and Martha. His good friend, Lazarus, has just died. He's been dead for four days. Martha said, Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus was, would have still been alive. In fact, Jesus, you can still do, do something about this. And he has this interaction with Martha, and he looks at her, and this is what he says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? Jesus always put people on the spot to be able to accept and believe in Jesus, or reject Jesus. And this is what Martha says. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. But what does Jesus do after she believes that Jesus is the Christ, the one that gives her life, the one that gives her everlasting life? He wants to prove that he has the power over death. He wants to prove that he's the one that, that can only give life. And he has this, this tomb opened up, and he yells in a loud voice, only Lazarus' name, otherwise everybody would have come out. But he says, Lazarus, come out. And after being dead four days and already starting to stank, Lazarus comes out. One of the greatest miracles in the New Testament, I believe foreshadowing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Lazarus could be dead four days, Jesus could easily raise himself in three. But what does the resurrection prove? It proves that Jesus defeated death and raises us to everlasting life. And then thirdly in your notes, Jesus has the power to transform our lives. If Jesus has overcome sin, he's overcome death, there's nothing our God can't do. Our verse for the year is Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we could ever ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. And being one of the pastors here, what I get to hear all the time is people that come up to me and say, say Pastor, we're going we're gonna to make it. Our, our marriage is going to make it. You hear people that, that have been addicted to alcohol come up to me and say it's been 100 days. 100 days since I've been 
been, been drinking anything. Other people have it's been, you know what, that, that addiction to pornography. God, God's helping me with that. Or, or whatever it is, is, is that we believe that God has the power to transform our lives. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Jesus can change your marriage. He can change your relationships. He can change your health. He changes everything. Why? Because there is nothing our God cannot do. And I experienced this several years ago in my 20s. I was born and raised in the church. Um, for me at that time, Christianity was a religion. It's all about knowing the Bible and knowing God, but not experiencing the life that's only found in Jesus Christ. And what that, what that religious attitude led to was me being critical of others. Me judging others. Me looking down on others. For whatever reason, in my early 20s, God really revealed just the, just the sin in my life. And how I wasn't better than anybody else, but I needed Jesus Christ just as much as anybody else. That my sin puts me on the same playing field as the, 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 the people that are murderers. The, 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 the people have done the, the worst things imaginable. I'm just like them because I need Jesus. And what happened was, is I began to develop this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was all about following Christ, all about walking Christ, all about extending the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that Jesus has so graciously given me. Why? Because my life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. That's what the resurrection does. There is nothing God cannot do. I heard somebody say this recently. He said, what you believe about your future is more important than anything that's happened to you in the past. I wanna say that one more time. What you believe about your future, what you believe and what God can do is more important than anything that's happened in your past. Why? Because there's nothing God cannot do. And then thirdly in our notes, how does the resurrection change us? Three ways. Three powerful ways. Number one, freedom through his forgiveness. Freedom through his forgiveness. When Jesus is on the cross, he's got his disciples watching him die. He's got people that were uh, enemies of him watching him die. People that wanted him dead watching him die. And if there was anything in our lives that we could wrap our minds around that would be unforgivable, it would be murdering Jesus. It would be murdering the Son of God. It would be murdering the one that ultimately went to the cross to die for our sins. If there was one thing that we could imagine that would be unforgivable, it would be killing Jesus. Yet on that day, over 2,000 years ago, on the cross, he pleads out to his Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That middle phrase, forgiveness. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we deserve. It's only something that we can receive because it's something God gives us. Forgiveness. It gives us freedom. Freedom from our past. Freedom from our shame. The Bible says that there's now no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. It's the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection that ultimately allows us not to walk in the sin of our past, the sin of even today, but the freedom where the guilt and the shame and the pain has been walked away. That's what the resurrection gives us, freedom through his forgiveness. Second of all, it gives us the hope because of heaven. What, what is hope? Hope is confidence. Hope is this, is this assurance that we have 
because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. First Peter puts it this way. He says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That, that is the greatest hope and the greatest confidence in the Christian life is that because of what Christ did on the cross, his resurrection, we can have this confidence that despite the pain in this life, despite the hurt, despite the disappointments, because of Christ, we have the opportunity of heaven forever, the confidence of heaven where there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more weeping, because we'll be in the presence of Jesus forever, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Now for me, me personally, personally this has some huge implications. Um, the person that has impacted my life more than anybody else besides Jesus Christ is my son, Jacob. Uh, Jacob is 12 years old. He has severe, um, severe special needs, severe disability. Uh, he does not walk, he does not talk, he does not eat through his mouth, he eats through a little feeding tube. He has, he has so much joy. But my confidence is for the eternal security of Jacob because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. My confidence is that someday in heaven, Jacob is going to walk. Forget that. Jacob's going to run. He's going to be probably chasing girls all over the place. He's going to eat through his mouth. He's going to be sitting at a smorgasbord. He's going to be singing and praying. He's going to do all the things that he can't do here on earth in heaven. That's my hope. That's my confidence. Not because of who Jacob is, but because of who Christ is. To the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he gives us freedom. He gives us hope. And thirdly, what does he give us? He gives us peace. He gives us peace through his promises. Peace through his promises. The New Testament understanding of the word peace in the Greek often refers to rest. It's the opposite of worry. It's the opposite of anxiety. So if we don't have peace, then we're not sleeping. Christ is our peace. Knowing that no matter what happens in this life, it doesn't matter. We don't need to fear death. Why? Because we know where we're going. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Peace is always found in a person. Think about this, moms and dads, when your kids are scared, especially when they were little. Who would they want? They'd want you. They'd want you, because peace is always found in a person. I remember being young and uh, potty trained, but I was scared to go to the bathroom by myself at night. I would literally run past the bathroom in the hallway, go down to my parents. I would wake my mom up, say, would you stand outside the bathroom while I, while I went to the bathroom? Why? Because I was scared. Peace is always found in a person. I was real young. I was like 16. Um, <laughs> hey, mom. Uh, that would be weird. But here's the point. Peace. It's always found in a person. You know that because the times in life where you're stressed or you're worried, you'll often call a friend or a family member. Here's the problem. Friends and family members will always let you down. 
as good as they are, I, I, would, I love you. I will always eventually at some point let you down. God will never let you down. God is the only one that can sustain us, the only one that satisfies us, the only one that deals with the sin issue in our life, the only one that offers true lasting freedom, true lasting hope, true lasting peace. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest promise of Jesus Christ in Scripture is John 3.16. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus boldly says that it's not about your good works. It's not about your own righteousness. The only way to God, the only way to heaven is through me. All you need to do is put your faith and put your trust in me. Now I wanna introduce you to a man who's put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Somebody who's walking in the, the freedom and the hope and the peace that only comes from God, but it always hasn't been this way. His name is Will. And My name's is Will Walters, and I started using drugs in 1986. Then in 2000, it seemed like everything was going good. I was still being able to use. I had a good job. The bills were being paid. The kids were good. I had just bought a house. And then in late 2000, it started to fall apart. I started using more. I started staying out late. I started not coming home. My kids were suffering. My wife was suffering. We were all suffering. The house was nothing but a suffering house at that time. Then in 2003, I, I lost my job. Me and my wife decided to split up. As I continued to use, my life was getting worse and worse. I ended up going homeless. I lost everything I had. I was in the streets. All I wanted to do was get high and go to where I was living at at the time, which would have been the canal banks, which would have been around trees, bushes. It didn't matter. I had. I had no life, I had nothing then. In 2005, I had just come off of a high and I was crossing on the corner of Coffee and Lucerne. I looked up, there was my wife and my granddaughter. I didn't want to look at them, I put my head down in shame and just kept walking. My granddaughter and my wife said they did not even recognize me that I looked so bad crossing the road. As time went on, I kept feeling this emptiness in me, and I did not know it was. I did not want to look at God as to feel that emptiness. But as a result, I started going to church in the park, and I started meeting people there that had restoration in their life that came from where I did. Now, mind you, I'm not a spiritual person or a God person at the time. I did know there was something, and I was born for something, but I could not put my finger on exactly what it was, and I wasn't man enough to say it was God. I went and saw my wife. I asked her to take me to church. She said, yes, I'll take you. I went to church. I actually felt the Holy Spirit come inside me. In 2006, me and my wife started getting together one step at a time. We started getting counseling, Christian counseling. We started going to church. 2007, I got hired by the church. I've seen since I've been there, I've seen love. 
I see compassion, I see an understanding, and I still struggle in life, but I have people to go to, I have God to go to, I have my fellow workers, my, my kids come now. I've gotten baptized with both of my daughters at the same time. I've seen my grandchildren baptized. I see my son-in-law baptized. God's been faithful as to restore my family back together, to restore me as a human being, as the person God wants me to be, and restore everybody that I come in contact with now that he helps restore them too. Will's been on staff for over 10 years, and he is a man that is not only living in the freedom and the hope in the peace of God, he's demonstrating what that means and looks like. Uh, you know, in just a couple moments, we have the privilege to, to experience some baptisms, and some of you have already signed up, and you've got your t-shirts on. Others of you haven't, and uh, there's going to be an opportunity for you just to be led by the Holy Spirit, and maybe God's going to be prompting you this weekend to get baptized before him. But before we do that, uh, I want to give you the opportunity to just get right with God. Um, sure, maybe you hear Will's story and you're thinking, you know what, my, my sin, it, it's not as bad as, as Will's. Um, I, I wasn't on drugs. Uh, I wasn't homeless. I didn't, I didn't walk out on my wife. But here's the reality of sin. Sin puts every single one of us on the same playing field. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And our sin demonstrates our need for a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. There's no amount of good works that can allow us to be right before a holy God because our sin separates us from God. In just a moment, I want to give you the opportunity just to be alone with God. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you're not experiencing the life that's only found in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. Let's bow and let's pray. God, I, I thank you for Will, a friend of mine who's a great example of what it means and looks like to experience the life that's only found in Jesus. God, it's the, it's the cross of your son. It's the resurrection of your son, fully God, that makes life possible. God, we here for lots of different reasons today. Maybe we're here just to, to attend a service, but in our hearts, we don't really want to be here. But you've spoken to us today. God, you revealed how, how much we need you. You revealed that in and of ourselves, there's nothing that we can do about our disease of sin. You're here today and all heads bowed, nobody looking around. You've never invited Jesus Christ into your life. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. It's not the words of, of the prayer, it's, it's really the cry of the heart. It's a prayer that goes something like this. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge my sin before you. I recognize there's nothing I can do in and of myself that will make me right before a holy God that will get me to heaven. Jesus, I... I receive your forgiveness. I repent of my sin. I open the door of my heart and I ask that you would come in to make me into the person that you want me to be. From this day forward, I give you total control of my life. With all heads bowed, nobody looking around, but if you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you. 
If that's the desire of your heart and you prayed that for the first time today, would you just lift up your hand wherever you're at and look at me right now. Good, I see that hand. Wherever you're at, you say, that's me. I prayed that prayer. Good, I see that hand. Uh, I want Jesus. Good, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Good, there, there. Wherever you're at, you say, you know what? I, I just want to be right with Jesus today. That's what Easter is all about. If you had 15 seconds to save your life and make the greatest decision, would you lift up your hand and raise me? Say, you know what? I just, I just need that. I need Christ. If that's your heart today, 10 seconds left, and you just want Jesus, raise your hand and look at me wherever you're at. Right there, those hands. Five seconds left. You say, I need Christ. Three seconds. Is there anybody else? Good, I see those hands. Is there anybody else? Good, right there. One second left to say, I want to be right with God through Jesus. Is there anybody else today? Lift up your hand high and look at me. Good, in the back there. Last call in the back there. Good, over there. Anybody else? Good, over here on the side. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the the hands that were raised and the hearts that were changed. God, we thank you for the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, that Jesus conquered sin, conquered death, that we might live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.